All right, Lord. I pray that my message will go smoother than the announcements. <laughs> almost always does, almost. And when it doesn't, it's usually entertaining. So God, again, thank you for Christmas. I pray that you would continue to have center stage in this place, God, as you did during worship. I pray that you would during this message. And that we would leave with appropriate awe of who you are and what you do. And why you do what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start today by reading a Christmas story out of Luke, because despite what the weather says, it is the season. So we are going to read selected passages. I'm going to read Luke chapter 1, 26 to 35, and chapter 2, 1 to 20, if you'd like to follow along. And this is out of the NIV. Chapter 1, 26 to 35. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will have no end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be, called, will be called the Son of God. Amazing. And lo and behold, it happens. Chapter 2, 1 through 21. 1 through 20, excuse me. And in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee in Judea and Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes, cloths, and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts, heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, 
which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Christmas. Christmas. We're all familiar with the story. And it occurred to me this year, as I was thinking about it, that I I thought to myself, and I'm a little embarrassed to say this, that with a little bit of a sigh and a a roll of the eye, I thought, oh, on Christmas message, I have to read the Christmas story, and that's pretty, you know, I wasn't excited about it. I feel terrible about that. I feel terrible that I wasn't jumping up and down to preach a Christmas message. And then the awful truth struck me that I had forgotten to be awed by Christmas. I had forgotten what it's like to be truly amazed by the Christmas story. And I think that this might be a problem in all of America and with people that have been raised in the church. We forgot what is so amazing about Christmas. And we stop asking the question, why Christmas? So that's my message today. Why Christmas? Why did Jesus come? God in a body coming as a baby. That should seem odd and incredible. And hopefully by the end of today, we'll recapture that. Does that sound good? Awesome. We just read the Christmas story. Now there are some theological and correct reasons why Christmas happened, why God came to earth. And we're going to hit some of those. And I think we're going to discover, using a line of questioning that Chris Watt actually helped me think of a few weeks ago, we're going to discover that they're all kind of lacking. Because the whys I give you will have a why of their own. And then that last and final why is going to be why I think we have Christmas. But first of all, we've got some covenant trouble, right? I I talked last week about the Davidic covenant, and we... We got a history lesson about how God promised King David that there was going to be a king from his line on the throne forever. And David was in awe, and they wrote songs about it, and they wrote song, you know, all kinds of stuff about it. And then, lo and behold, God has to judge the people according to what they agreed on in the law of Moses. And after a couple hundred years of struggling, bam, hammer drops, kingdom gone, king gone, out of the land. They're not making their own rules. And these people are reeling for about 600 years. And last week we talked about how they had two choices. They could have either said God's abandoned us, or they could hold on to faith and say, no, he must be on the way. And we talked about how their conclusion, God is on the way, stayed with them from 586 B.C. all the way until the birth of Jesus. And when Jesus was finally born, and the angel says, the king in the line of David has arrived there were still people faithfully waiting because they decided God cannot have abandoned us. He is true to his word, and he will come. They went to the, t- the temple. He had two prophets waiting for, this, waiting for the Messiah, the king. It was amazing. Hope survived. So that's one reason why Christmas. Now, doesn't that just satisfy the longing of your heart? We have Christmas because God had to fix the problem In the Davidic covenant, guys, we needed a king in the line of David. That's why we have Christmas. Everyone satisfied? We can go home. Great! 
No, there's another question. Why, why does God care so much about the Davidic covenant? Why does God care so much about being faithful to David? What? It doesn't really satisfy me. So, let's move on. We also have a problem with the Mosaic Covenant. Oh, another theologically correct reason why we have Christmas. If, if you read what God promised Moses way back in Exodus, and it starts in chapter 19, and I believe it goes through chapter 24, God comes down and he says, I'm going to make you my people. You're going to be a nation of, of priests, you know, and I'm going to dwell with you in a special way. Now here's some do's and here's some don'ts. And this is how we're going to run things around here, as my people. And the whole book of Deuteronomy is kind of Moses' last speech. And he's saying, if you will just obey these do's and don'ts, you will have all these blessings. And if you mess up, you will have all these curses. And twice he even says this. He's like, I'm laying out for you blessings and curses, life and death. Will you just please choose life so you can live? And at one point he says, this isn't too hard for you. This isn't far away. This is stuff you should be able to do. Can we just agree to do this, guys? And everybody says, we have heard and we'll obey. And then right before Moses dies, God tells him, you know they're going to mess it up, right? And Moses is like, yeah, I know. What a bummer for Moses, man. But it's true. They keep messing it up. And God finally has to judge them according to the agreement. It takes like a thousand years, but finally the hammer has to fall. And they get the final covenant curse. They get kicked out of the land, and they're deported. But God is faithful. We have this irrevocable promise from God, right? And they messed up their end of the deal. Well, there's a tension. If my promise is irrevocable, if I've said that I'm going to do something, and you mess up your half, so I have to judge you. So now there's this disconnect between what I said and what I want to do and what you're making possible. We need to resolve this somehow. Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17 to 18, in the Sermon on the Mount, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets the Torah, and wrapped up in that is this whole idea of the Mosaic Covenant, the do's and don'ts. Don't think that I've come to abolish that, for I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus tells us himself, why Christmas? Why is he here? Well, he's here to fulfill the Mosaic Law. Done. Good. Let's sing some carols. Does that satisfy the deep longings of your heart? Doesn't really leave me with warm and fuzzies, you know, even though it's true. It is true. The people had sinned. Jesus is the sacrifice. We know that. He's the pure lamb. What does John the Baptist say when Jesus is coming? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He does fulfill the covenant. He does all the do's and doesn't do all the don'ts. He is the perfect sacrifice. He clears the way for us to have a relationship. And in Christ, we have to be inside the only one that ever did it 100% right. So he fulfills the Davidic covenant. He fulfills the Mosaic covenant. He gets rid of the covenant tension. And yet I noticed that we could still say, yeah, but why? Why come as a human being, as a baby, 
that kind of, I'm, I'm still lacking a little bit. I know, yeah, okay, you had to fix the tension. You did that. That's biblical. Those are very valid reasons why we have Christmas. And yet there must be something else. I got it. The new covenant. Right? Has anyone heard of this? It's kind of important. So, this is another valid reason we have Christmas. Jesus came to bring us a new covenant, not just to fulfill the old one. Let's check out some cool verses on this. And I am going to spend a little bit of time here because I think this is darn nifty. So, well, tell me. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Jeremiah has seen the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay? We talked about this a little bit last week. And he's seeing into the future of the Spirit, and this is what he says is going to happen. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. That was huge news. I'm going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. So he's saying it's not going to be like the last one because you guys messed that up. We have to do something different around here. So this is what's going to happen. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. Now that's interesting. He's like, you guys messed up the last covenant. We're going to do something different. I'm just going to put my law inside you. I'm going to give you the hardware and the software you need to run this program. Apparently, what you had before was lacking, so you need an infusion. All right? And you're all going to be able to be faithful. You're going to have new hearts. Also part of this new covenant, Ezekiel 11, 19 to 20. This is cool. I will give them an undivided heart and, a pu- and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. They will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their, go- and I will be their God. Ooh, we have a new heart. Not only do we have God's law and God's will in our heart, but we get a new heart. Well, this is talking about being made new. This sounds way better than the old one. Sounds like we're already getting a leg up. Maybe we can keep this covenant that's coming, you know. Ezekiel expounds in chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. And this is maybe the most striking one. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Here's where the big difference is. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. New heart, new spirit. We have lingo for this now. We call it the new creation in Christ. This is something Jesus definitely accomplished. He said, it's good that I go so that what can come? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. He's fulfilling all these prophecies. He's initiating the new covenant that actually makes us able to be in a relationship with God. 
So that's why we have Christmas. Still kind of lacking. Well, let's try this one. Let's try this one. How about we have Christmas, God came as a baby, so that he could fully identify with the human condition. Who's heard this? Anybody? Yeah. God can. That's true. These are all true reasons. None of these are, are bad or laughable or wrong. God did come so he could fully identify with man. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 in the New Testament. On my second page of verses, I'll just put this one over here. For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Somebody say, Amen. 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 But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. There's a progression here. This is the first step. My progression, not the Bible's. Jesus was tempted. He understands your struggles. And because he understands the struggles of man, when we come to him being tempted, or maybe even having done something wrong, he isn't some cold and partial judge that doesn't get it. He's like, no, I've been there. So at least I can sympathize. I can empathize with what you're feeling. God knows temptation because of Jesus. Here's the second part. He knows your inner ugly. <laughs> John 2, 23-25. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the sign he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Why, do you think? Because he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. God knows what it's like to be tempted, and he knows your specific garbage. He knows your disposition, your character, personally. He doesn't just know men in general. He knows what's in each person. Here's the last one. Quite possibly my favorite. Isaiah 53, 3-5. This is talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. Read this. This is amazing, guys. Surely, he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our impurities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. This is an amazing, amazing prophecy about the cross. But did you catch what it says? He bore our pain. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. So not only does he know what it's like to be tempted, not only does he know your inner ugly, but somehow on the cross he felt the weight of your evil choices and the repercussions from them. All the pain and suffering of mankind he has known. Not generally, specifically. And that was part of what he did on the cross. Why couldn't a mortal man live a sinless life and die on the cross? A, we probably couldn't make it sinless for that long. And B, 
you don't have the payload capacity to handle the amount of pain that Jesus handled. Can't do it. It took God to handle that much pain and agony. So he came to earth to fully identify with man. Merry Christmas. Don't forget to leave your offerings in the back. I hope you're all encouraged. No. There's one more. I can't help but think. Clearing up this tension with the Davidic covenant. That's good. It's true. Clearing up the tension with the Mosaic covenant. That's good. It's true. Initiating a new covenant. Really awesome. And true. All those are reasons for Christmas. Fully identifying with man. Specifically. Individually. That's true. That's why Jesus came. But why? That doesn't answer the question. Why? Why do that, God? I can't help but notice this is a lot of trouble. I can't help but notice this cost God a lot. Not only did it cost him death, but 33 years on earth when you could be in heaven, let's be real. That's a heck of a sacrifice in and of itself. Why go through the trouble, God? Here's the point. When all the verses have been read and the prophecies are studied, the reasons are laid out and the theology is argued, and it is, <laughs> we are still left with one huge question. Why would God go through so much trouble to redeem a fallen creation, all of creation, but mankind in particular? If love is not the primary characteristic of God, none of his plans, but especially Christmas, make any sense at all. If God's primary characteristic is not love, it makes no sense. Because when you follow the whys back, why God? Why? Why, why? Why do you care so much? Why are you doing that? Why so much pain? Why so much trouble? Why so much time? The end is because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Because God so loved the world. And believe it, man, those first century Jews would have got the Davidic covenant intention. They would have got the Mosaic covenant intention. They would have been looking forward to the new covenant. All that was on their radar. But the answer that I am afraid has become too normal to us would have blown their minds. That I am here willing to do what I'm doing because... You've heard about my love before, but this is exactly how much I love you. I am literally coming to be one of you my entire life and then die for you. That's why we have Christmas. Because God loves you with a love that should be almost intimidating. Yeah. It should be almost intimidating that you are worth so much to God. And we need to allow ourselves to be awed by that. Yeah. Or else we are not fully appreciating Christmas. This is my challenge to everyone here. Let's be joyful. Let's be happy and rejoice. But let's allow ourselves to remember what it's like to be awed by the self-sacrificial love of God who came as a baby to an ugly teenage mother and lived in a backwater town and grew up like any one of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you did in Jesus.
Jesus, we thank you for being so obedient and loving us so much. You are a good God. Lord, I ask that even in 21st century America, to all of us who are so comfortable, you would restore a sense of awe and wonder. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for not being awed by you like we should. Forgive us for not being awed by your story like we should be. And because you are gracious and joy and happiness and mirth and laughter and grace and forgiveness and all that originates with you, we ask you to pour out joy and wonder and gratitude and happiness. Outright giddiness, God, in this time of year because you love us so much. Draw us near to you. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you yet, <laughs> repeat after me if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Lord, I have sinned and am a sinner. I'm sorry and I repent. Your sacrifice on the cross is enough. I believe it. Count me in. Make me new. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Show me what it means to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys. We're going to have prayer and prophetic up here on the right, if you would like that. And if you would not, hang out, chat, grab some snacks. Merry Christmas. You're dismissed.